Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. The Democrats' bill to federalize elections, uh, of course, was doomed from the beginning uh, to crash and burn in the United States Senate, uh, not just lacking Republican support, as none of them were even consulted in the process. Uh, they also couldn't get their own members united behind it, with two Democratic senators voting against that voter reform bill. So the question then becomes really is there actually some possibilities? Is there any reform policies out there that could garner some bipartisan support? Uh, I say yes. And there's actually a new framework proposed by the R Street Institute, the Bipartisan Policy Center, our uh, friends over at American Enterprise Institute, among others, that could make some federal election reform possible. Uh, Matt Germer is a resident elections fellow for the governance program at R Street Institute. And he joins us now to talk about some of those things that uh, can get some bipartisan support. I think there's a lot out there. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Boyd. It's my pleasure to be here. So so let's dive into this, because I'm, I'm one of those who believes we're not nearly divided on a lot of these things as uh, both sides of the political aisle like to convince us that we are. Uh, so tell us some of the things that you've been working on. Again, this is a, uh, a group of, of think tanks and great thinking. Uh, again, the Bipartisan Poli- Policy Center, American Enterprise Institute, Issue One, R Street, of course, where you're from, and Unite America. Uh, tell us about the framework that you've released that you think could get some bipartisan support. So that's right. We work together as a, a coalition of Uh, groups that are kind of across the ideological spectrum. Over here at our street, we're a bit more on the center right. A couple of our groups there that you listed are are more in the center or more on the center left. Uh, And the goal for us was to look really at elections from the perspective of voters. We wanted to make sure that voters could feel like the elections are fair, uh, that they're convenient, that they're secure, that they're transparent. We weren't coming at this from a question of whether or not a reform benefits one party or another. Although I have my doubts that really many reforms actually end up having that much partisan influence. Uh, but instead, really just ask this question of in the position of a voter, how can we improve elections? And so we took some ideas that have long been Democratic proposals. We took some ideas that have long been Republican proposals. And we took some ideas that are just common sense and that both sides have said uh, should be implemented and, and brought them all together to create what we thought is a framework for good elections around the country. And then package them together in a sense of a not, I wouldn't even say that it's like a federal bill as if, you know, Washington, D.C. from on high were dictating how to run elections. Instead, it's about empowering the state 
to maintain control over their own elections, but incentivizing good practices across the country. Uh, and I think that's such an important point that uh, doing this at the federal level just has uh, a, a lot of doom and gloom all around it because it actually makes it easier if, if there was a thug or bad guy uh, or strong man or strong woman that wanted to do something. If it was all federal, that would be pretty easy to do. Uh, I think the founding fathers were genius in the way they did that to the states to ensure that that couldn't happen. And so as you look at some of those things that uh, you've put into this framework, uh, you've broken it into three significant categories uh, that kind of cover the the whole spectrum, voter registration, then casting the ballot, then counting the vote, uh, all of those, uh, which, of course, we should shine a a flashlight on. So tell us some of the things under voter registration that uh, could make it simpler or better for states uh, to make sure that's done right. Absolutely. So this is one of those categories where in in recent times, Republicans have spent a lot more of their focus making sure that the voter rolls are accurate. Uh, You want to make sure that that people, particularly in states, I believe like Utah, that have robust uh, mail-in voting, uh, that you're not sending out ballots to folks uh, that that shouldn't be getting them or may have moved and and the ballot is now uh, out of date for them. Uh, So we, we are suggesting that states maintain some voter registration maintenance protocols, um, but at the same time, in order to help keep those voter registration lists accurate, we think it's helpful for um, any time that uh, voters come into contact with the state, and if there's an address change, that those address changes are uh, forwarded uh, to the voter registration database. And that could be at the DMV, or it could be at a variety of other state and local agencies uh, to make sure that the voter list is as accurate as possible. And that latter point, that, that voter registration at the DMV, is something that Democrats have long uh, argued for. And so this is an example of being able to bring ideas from both sides of the aisle toward the common goal of more accuracy in voter registration. That's right. And, and I think it's so vital that we really do all of the little things that we can to increase the confidence uh, in the system and the process. Uh, sadly, we've got extremes on left and right uh, telling people to don't trust the system unless you win. Uh, if you lose, something something was fixed or rigged or something happened uh, so let's talk next about the casting the ballot component. What actually happens as we get to an election? Again, how can we increase voter confidence there? So I think there's a great opportunity to build off of that good work on voter registration. Once you think you have a great list of who should be voting, uh, you can feel confident across the country to provide robust absentee voting. You can know that when you're mailing out a ballot, it's going to a eligible voter. Uh, and so we are encouraging states to implement Uh, absentee voting options for voters. And and that includes a number of states, uh, many of which you might not expect, that make it very difficult for folks to vote absentee, um, where we know from experience that that voters like to be able to vote from home, uh, if that's the the right answer for them. Uh, Maybe also keeping open the opportunity to vote in person, if that's the option for them as well. But um, we are suggesting that states remove a lot of their restrictions around absentee voting. That said, um, we also encourage that states include some form of voter identity verification for those absentee votes, Um, whether that's, you know, some states are taking that as an approach of the last four of your social security number. Uh, It could be a a driver's license or state ID number. It could be a signature requirement. There are a lot of options out there. But just to make sure that that we can feel confident that the person who is submitting that ballot is the person who uh, should be submitting a ballot. Uh, Finally, we know that a lot of states are uh, experimenting or have been experimenting for a while with early in-person voting. Um, Many states that have been in the news, you know, namely Georgia and Florida, um, have offered robust in-person early voting. But some states are still really lagging behind. I think primarily uh, Kentucky that just went from having zero days 
of early in-person voting to three, which is a nice improvement, but we are suggesting at least a week uh, of early in-person voting so that folks have flexibility to get into a voting booth on their own schedule. Yeah. So let's go down to the back end of the process once the ballots have been cast. Uh, And to me, this is one of the most important in terms of the transparency component, uh, counting the vote. Yes. And I think there's a lot of work that can be done here. And in in fact, I believe in Utah in particular, uh, there's an opportunity for improvement on this front. Uh, One of the things that really helps, and we saw the value of it in 2020, is what's known as pre-processing ballots before Election Day. Uh, If you're receiving absentee ballots, to be able to go through them, whether it's that signature verification or other form of voter ID, um, to start checking to see if there are any problems with that before you even count the vote, just to make sure that the ballot itself is acceptable, uh, to start that process well before Election Day so that once the polls close on Election Day, you can basically flip a switch, start the count. Uh, That works really well in Florida, a state that everyone expected to be a battleground uh, in 2020. The count came out almost immediately uh, when polls closed. However, you look at like Pennsylvania, uh, which was a state that took days for them to do the count, largely because they did not pre-process the ballots in advance. Uh, A couple other things that we suggest is that when ballots are being mailed in, that they be received by the end of Election Day. Uh, This, again, is important to turn around results quickly. It also helps to make sure that if you need to do any kind of audit or recount, you've got enough time to do that. Some states uh, only require that the um, uh, ballot be dropped at the post office by Election Day, and that can delay the count for a week or two, which doesn't necessarily help for public trust. Yeah, exactly. The longer that drags on, the more uh, people start to to wonder and lose confidence in that. And then finally, real quickly, uh, if you can just give us a a quick look at that cybersecurity, physical security, there's also some bipartisan efforts there as well. And this is a great opportunity to take reforms that that really are are truly bipartisan. Uh, We know that we have foreign actors who are out there trying to tamper with our elections, maybe not with the machines specifically, but with the way that uh, we conduct elections. In this last cycle, we saw posts on social media telling people that Election Day has changed uh, or that the way you drop your ballot is, is, you know, has changed. And none of these things are true. And we need to make sure that our local election officials have the resources they need to address that kind of uh, misinformation and disinformation. And similarly, as, as far as security is concerned, not just cybersecurity, but physical security, uh, both for the ballots themselves, but also for those election officials uh, on a scale that really has never been experienced before. Election officials have been under, uh, under attack uh, from harassment. Uh, and these are often very hardworking folks in local county offices who they didn't sign up to be to be abused and threatened. Uh, and so it, it's important that uh, investigators, both federal, state, county, have the resources they need to address those kinds of harassment threats as well. Uh, great insight, uh, Matt Germer from our friends at R Street Institute. And this is an important thing. We we talk about the division in in Washington. Uh, we talk about uh, voters r- voter rights and voter legislation. Uh, this is just a tremendous effort, uh, Matt. I applaud you and, and all of your colleagues and partners in this to really show that uh, the vast majority, if we if we really look at the principles and the processes, uh, we can go a long, long way on a bipartisan basis uh, to give voters more confidence in the process and in the outcome. Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. All right, we're going to step aside for one last commercial break. I think that's great insight from Matt. There is bipartisan opportunity all around, uh, and a lot of it drives what should be at the state level to the state level, not the federal level. If you want confidence in the voter system, uh, the states can do this best. That's the way the framers of the Constitution laid it out, and that's where we ought to keep going for confidence. Coming back, we'll have uh, final thoughts 
here on Monday on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.